Welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show, a podcast and YouTube series hosted by real estate investor, author, and coach Brian O'Neill. Tune in each week as we interview business owners who have successfully planned and executed their W2 Prison Break. You'll hear their stories, learn about their challenges, and what ultimately pushed them over the edge and gave them the courage to break free. Most importantly, you'll discover they are not much different than you. Listen in each week as we give you useful insights and action items to start your W-2 prison break and get you on the path you are always meant to be on. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. We are really excited to share the W-2 prison break story of Charles Reed. He has been in the payroll services business for over 30 years. Started his business in 1991, worked in corporate for 15 years. He's a CPA. He was in the military. He's a U.S. tax court practitioner and a member of the Internal Revenue Service Advisory Council. And again, the founder of uh, Get Payroll. We're going to hear all about his business. We're going to learn about his journey through corporate for 15 years and why he decided to start his business 15 years after he took his first W-2 job. So it's going to be a great show. Stay tuned. And remember, you can watch all of these episodes on our YouTube channel. Please do make sure you go there and subscribe. Charles, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. I look forward to speaking with you today. And it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Before we get into your W-2 prison break story. The audience loves hearing these stories. Just give us a little background on you, Charles, if you could just share a little bit with the audience about who you are and what you're doing now. Sure. I'm a Midwestern boy. I grew up in Iowa. After high school, I wasn't ready for college, joined the Marine Corps, spent four years in the military, two years overseas, including a combat tour in Vietnam. Came back, was stationed in Kansas City, met and married my wife. She had five children when I married her and was 10 years older than I am. You know, married a woman with five children, people say, well, you're crazy, but it worked for us. We were married for 45 years until she passed. Found out that my military experience did not resonate well with the business world then, as it doesn't now. So I went to college, got my degrees, sat for and passed my CPA exam while I was still in graduate school, and went into the corporate world. And how long were you in the corporate world for, Charles? Corporate for 15 years, and that's my break. I said to hell with them. I realized I was never going to run a major corporation. I didn't have the political skills. I was unwilling to stab people in the back and toss them off the ladder. So father had his own business. Yeah, it is. My father had his own business, so I said, I'm going to start my own. Ruth and I went and started our own business. At what point did you start to feel that corporate wasn't for you? You were in it for 15 years. I mean, was it always a thought or did it kind of come towards the end? been with Texas Instruments, which was my first company, about a year. Jerry Junkins was doing the corporate annual meeting, hmm. broadcast to all the TI sites around the world. And he was going through how last year they'd hired 6,000 new college graduates. 5,000 of them were engineers. And how they 
train these engineers in the lab and then in the business and back in the lab and back in the business. And this was where the future of TI was. And then he went on for about five or six minutes on that. And then he said, oh, and we hired a thousand other graduates and went on to the next subject. I was one of those other thousand. Okay. He had just dismissed my MBA, my graduating with honors, my CPA. He just said, well, that was an aside. That pretty well set the tone for the next 14 years. <laughs> so you knew pretty early. You had all this schooling, all these degrees, and it wasn't really worth a hill of beans, it sounds like, to this particular gentleman. To Texas Instruments, my skills were a necessary evil, and that was it. Yeah. And I didn't like that. And I left TI shortly after that to somebody who was a little more accommodating, but still, I'm a bean counter, you know, sure. I trade. Were you with the next company for 14 years or did you hop around a little bit? I hopped around, did several large companies, small companies, did turnarounds, did startups. I got a lot of great experience, but it was experience. There was never anything there that was a long-term thing. It was always just somebody else's business. What type of business did your family have? You said that there was a family business there. Yeah. My father was an insurance consultant. Okay. He'd started his own business back in the early 50s, sold it in the late 80s, retired. They inherited grandmother's house in Palo Alto. So they had a beautiful house in Palo Alto, California, which has a wonderful climate. It was all paid for. So <laughs> not a bad place to end up. Not a bad place to end up. I love California and the Palo Alto and the peninsula. It's just wonderful climate. Of course, the politics out there are just a disaster for everybody. And I have no interest in living there again, but it's a beautiful state. Agreed. Okay. So let's talk about when you started your first business. Okay. You started your business. This is 15 years after you're in corporate, you know, maybe go back and describe if you can, the feelings that you had and just really what your mindset was, you know, was there any difficulty? I mean, just talk about that experience if you could, it's very helpful to the listeners. I'd left JC Penney's in a contract dispute. And my attorney who was handling the court case said, hey, I got a friend that needs some help. It was a small franchisor in the mobile accounting business. So I hopped over there and worked as his COO for a few months. Mm -hmm. And the board was after him to sell the original office, the original franchise. And I said, hey, I'll buy it. And I did. And about a year later, the franchisor went belly up. So Ruth and I, who went into it together, just changed the name and kept on going. So it was a franchise, but it wasn't a viable franchise. They didn't have marketing down. They had a marketing plan that was designed about one guy in Tyler, Texas, who was doing a wonderful job and they never could replicate it. And that's what killed the franchisor in the end. So we basically reinvented the company, grew it, and it's made us a living for, you know, odd years before Ruth passed and still makes me a nice living and I'm enjoying it. No, it's a lot of work. The first 10 years, phew, work your ass off. You know, there's a lot of advantages to working for yourself. There's a lot of freedoms, but the work doesn't go away. You can, yeah, I can take the afternoon off, but I'll be in late tomorrow and I get it all caught up. I was at a conference. I was doing a panel discussion, entrepreneurials. One of the people who wanted to get into business said, what about work-life balance? And I cracked up. I just started laughing. I said, when you're a beginning entrepreneur, there is no such thing as work-life balance. It's work. And if you don't have a partner 
that understands that you're going to have problems. Luckily, my wife did, and we worked together. But the first few years for us, it was about 10. You know, vacations consisted of taking an extra half day going to a, an accounting conference. That, that was vacation. So it's a lot of hard work, but it's extraordinarily satisfying. And, you know, I've built some wealth and some income streams from it. And it allows me to do things now that I couldn't do 30 years ago, obviously. It's been wonderful. I wouldn't go back to work for anybody else on a bet. So you're saying it was worth it? It was worth it. I think so. Were there hard times? Were there difficult times? Were there times when I wondered if I was doing the right thing? Absolutely. Yeah. But Ruth was all for it and she was behind me and it worked for us. So I love it. All from just saying, hey, I'll buy it. That's what I heard, you know, when this opportunity came. It was like, hey, I'll move forward. You know, sometimes you just got to take a little bit of action, right? I was in the right place at the right time, but I had the right mindset. I wanted a business of my own. I wanted to run my own business. This was one I'd gotten to know because I was the COO, uh, you know, chief operations, chief operating officer. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I jumped at it and said, yeah, I'll buy it and ran with it. And I bought it basically in March, incorporated in August. And the following March, the franchisor shut his doors and we just changed the name and kept on going. You mentioned mindset, which is super important. You had the right mindset. And I think a lot of us have the idea of entrepreneurship floating around in our head. We want to do it, but you know, the block is the mindset, right? Like we find, invent ways to talk ourselves out of it, you had this moment where, hey, I'll buy it, but then had the mindset and the wherewithal to follow through with it, which is really the important piece. So maybe, and then you had some challenges in your business and expressed that, you know, you almost wanted to hang it up, you know, and go back to corporate. So maybe talk about how important mindset is and how it was for you. Mindset's critical. Not everybody is cut out to be an entrepreneur. There are people who want a 40 hour a week job, 45 hour a week job, two weeks vacation benefits, retirement, and that's fine. Enjoy it. Work for the government. It's a very secure job. They're not going away anytime soon. So it's not for everybody. But if you have the mindset, and I grew up in a family business, so I had some advantages in that. And I also had seen some of the downfalls because there were times as a kid, I didn't get what I wanted because we couldn't afford it. Yeah. So, you know, I knew it wasn't a cakewalk. But it is an attitude. You're going to make it work. My Marine Corps background helped me with that because, you know, it's adapt and overcome. So you take the circumstances, you adapt to them or adapt them to you, and you make it work and you overcome obstacles. So the Marine Corps training and Marine Corps leadership was good. But there came a point, I'd been in it six or seven years and having problems with employees and all kinds of things. And I was thinking of firing everybody and just moving it back in as a sole proprietor into the game room. And a friend of mine, Richard Fish, gave me a book. It was The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Hmm. And it taught me how to work on my business, not in my business. And that was a critical point in me being an entrepreneur is learning it wasn't a job. It was a business and you needed to treat it like a business. And that allowed me to change my mindset about business and be successful. It really was critical for me. 
And, you know, I thank Richard every time I see him. I buy the book by the dozen and -hmm. give it to clients who are having problems. Everybody who joins my staff reads it. It's part of what you have to do if you're going to get hired on here, you read the book. So that changed my mindset and allowed me to work on my business, which is extraordinarily important if you're going to be other than just a sole practitioner. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just a, a great share. Appreciate you sharing that book. I've heard that many times on this show. So everyone pick that book up because you do not want to bring the W-2 world into your business. Don't become a W-2 employee for your business. Like Absolutely. You have to separate yourself. So great share. And I also wrote down your adapt and overcome. That's good stuff. Awesome. So let's talk about your business. Tell the listeners about your business you know, what you're doing, who you're helping, and then I'll ask some follow-up questions. Sure. We started out as an accounting firm with a payroll sideline. Well, I'd taken on a partner and employees and so on. About 10 years ago, I sold the accounting practice to my partner hmm. and I kept on with the payroll. So we're a payroll service company. We provide payroll services to small and medium-sized businesses around the country. We're nationwide. We're one of the smaller, the national firms, but we're in, I think, 47 states currently. Mm-hmm. We have clients in Hawaii and in Alaska, and I think we're missing Montana and Maine. And maybe we had somebody in Idaho. I'm not sure we do at the moment, but that's we're everywhere. So we provide payroll services and payroll related services or small businesses. It's, you know, if you have employees or if you're a corporation in a, and you're in it, you need payroll and you need to deposit taxes and file forms and deal with the state and deal with the IRS. And our unique selling proposition is compliance. All the firms do a reasonably good job of preparing paychecks. But when there's a problem, much on your own, if you're with my competitors, I'm a CPA and a U.S. tax court practitioner, and I'm available to my clients. If you're with one of my major competitors, I won't say their name, I'll use their initials, ADP, then If you call them and say, I need a CPA to help me with a problem, they'll tell you to call your own CPA. Yeah. And if your CPA was a payroll expert, he'd be doing your payroll for you. So you're going to pay him to learn how to do something that he may or may not be good at. What we do is if there's a problem, we solve it. Can you describe what some of those, you said if there's a problem with payroll, I can solve it. Can you maybe give an example or two of what some of those issues would be? One of the really big ones that happened is a client had screwed up his filing of his 1099s, caught it up and he got them in and they got all the data, but they wanted $80,000 in penalties and they can't penalize you for a simple mistake. They will, but they can't. It's illegal. It's not in the law. So I took it on for them and we appealed it and appealed it and appealed it. I got through all the appeals offices. I got to the director of field operations I got to his boss who wouldn't return my calls. Well, since I've been on the IRS Advisory Council, I've met all the commissioners of the various business areas and a lot of the big wigs at the IRS. So I called the deputy chief of appeals and said, this guy works for you and he won't return my phone calls. She said, I'll have him call you. He called me that afternoon. That afternoon, I've been trying to get him for a year. We discussed it. He put it with a new appeals office. They looked at it. They agreed with me. And three months later, my client got a $400 refund instead of what was then $95,000 worth of penalties and interest because we fought it and we knew how to do it and who to talk to and how to 
push the issue. Beautiful. We're specialists in that. I don't do payrolls anymore. I have staff that doesn't, they don't let me do payrolls. I'll screw it up. Software's changed. <laughs> You're not but, working in your business. <laughs> no, exactly. The work I do in my business is the high level tax compliance. The low level, I've got people trained to do it. The high level, when I have to go to tax court or deal with the you know chief of appeals or talk to one of the commissioners or deputy commissioners in one of the business areas, that's my job. And that's the fun job. I love it. Like my lawyer said years ago on another situation, it's like playing high stakes poker with somebody else's money. 100%. I'm curious as to why you sold the accounting business because that was originally what you were in, the accounting side. Was there a particular reason why you decided to do that and keep the payroll business? Got tired of it. <laughs> I was bored with accounting. Yeah. And so I was enjoying payroll. So I said, I'll, you know, I can't do both. It's impossible to do everything. Right. You know, I'm also a registered investment advisor and was a stockbroker, carried a seven and a 66 license. And I got those because I thought I could service my clients mm. and make some more money. I can't do that. That requires so much time to be an expert in the market and what's going on. You can't do that and be a tax expert. You can't do both. So if I wasn't going to put somebody else in, in the office to do that, then I couldn't do both. So when I got to that point, as we grew and my partner wanted you know, more money and so on and so forth, I said, hey, I'll sell you the accounting practice for a price mm -hmm. and I'll keep the payroll. And it's worked out very well for both of us. He still offices in my building. So oh. it works. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for the share. Charles, what are some of the common mistakes that you see some of your new clients make? Maybe the smaller businesses that maybe don't have payroll. Like, What are they doing? What specific problems are you able to point out and solve? I have to imagine a lot of folks are trying to do it in-house. I think that's a mistake. I mean, we outsource payroll. I've always outsourced payroll long before I had a firm because it just made sense. Why do you want to try to be an expert in a very complex subject when you can outsource it for a pittance. But one of the big things entrepreneurs do is they try to pay people under the table or pay them as independent contractors when they're really employees. And that's going to come back and bite them big time. The whole misclassification is a huge thing in the U.S. And the IRS and the Labor Department are taking more and more interest in it because with the gig economy, it's easier to say, well, I'm just a contractor. Give me a 1099, whether you are or you're not. And the tax compliance for independent contractors is lower than for employees. So the IRS prefers that everybody get reported and deposited and controlled that way. That's it increases taxes because a lot of the tax gap is in that area of independent contractors and small businesses and so on. That's one of the big things. But the five steps to avoid employment tax penalties are, are fairly simple. First of all, arithmetic. Make sure all your calculations are correct. That's the biggest source of errors is arithmetic errors mm -hmm. on forms. That's the biggest source of penalties from the IRS is arithmetic errors. Then you have to know what you have to file and when you have to file it. You have to know what you have to deposit and when you have to deposit it. If you have those five things, you avoid most of the penalties. But the IRS makes millions of mistakes a year. We get them all the time. I had one come in. It was a refund 
to two clients on the same day for the exact same amount that they had overpaid their 940 taxes. Mm-hmm. And it was for 7,400 and change each, exact same number. Two of them together had less than $100 in 940 taxes. There was no way they overpaid by $7,000. The IRS screwed up. They do it all the time and they will not take responsibility for their errors. You have to force them to take it. When you call or you write, first thing you do when you get a penalty notice is you write a letter to the IRS. I guarantee you, you're not going to get an abatement. It's not a waste of time because you have to do that before you can go to the next step of appeals, but you will not get an appeal on your initial letter. I promise you, it will not happen. On your second letter that goes to the appeals coordinator, you'll get three or 4% abatements. Okay. Then you go to an appeals hearing. Ah, your chance for abatement go way up. And then if you don't get what you want, and there's multiple steps, you go to tax court if it's an error. And tax court, 95% of all tax court cases are settled pre-tax, pre-court. So 95% of them are settled without ever going to court, and they're settled for less than what they're asking. So it's a whole nother bite of the apple. It's why I became a U.S. tax court practitioner, to give my clients a whole nother bite of the apple. And... Their cost for me doing that is $60, which is the filing fee for tax court, Mm because it's part of the service. Well, Charles, you certainly know the ins and outs of the intricacies of the IRS for sure. So I appreciate you sharing that. For those of us who are not watching on YouTube, you've got your get payroll background here. Give us the website to where, you know, where people can learn a little bit more about you. And then I want to talk about your book as well. Getpayroll.com. Real simple. If you got payroll, get payroll. I love it. Getpayroll.com. We'll leave that in the show notes and then talk a little bit about your book that you have that you wrote. Guide for Small Businesses and Startups. There was nothing out there. And I said, you know, I'll write something. Okay. (laughs) Two years later, (laughs) it's not an easy task. It was a lot harder than I thought, but I was very lucky. I got with Wiley and uh, who's a major publishing company, of course, and uh, they published the book which made it a much better book. But it's for small businesses and startups. The first chapter is entity selection. It goes through what you need to do, how you need to do it, how to pay payroll, how to get rid of penalties, how to avoid them, and all the other little things that go into it. S-cheat, illegal aliens, record keeping, employee handbooks, on and on and on. Well, we made it a fairly comprehensive book. There's just nothing out there for my clients. So I wrote one because I get questions all the time. Right. Yeah. So decades worth of knowledge in there. And it's the payroll book. You held it up there, the payroll book. Where can we go get this? It's available at Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, other fine bookstores. But for your listeners, if they will go to thepayrollbook.com, very simple, payrollbook.com, and enter the discount code podcast, we will ship them a free book as long as supplies last without cost. No shipping, no handling. It'll go out book rate U.S. mail and they'll get it in about a week. Wow. Very, very generous of you, Charles. Appreciate that. Again, get, I'm sorry, thepayrollbook.com. The coupon code is podcast and you'll get your free copy, you know, while supplies last. And again, the entity selection piece alone is huge. So grab the book, grab the book. I appreciate that, Charles. That's very generous of you. All right. So, 
maybe talk a little bit about what your plans are for the business. Are you kind of, you know, are you looking to scale? Are you, you know, you're in 47 states. So maybe what's the future of the business look like for you? We're continuing to grow every week. We have no interest in slowing down. Hmm. My staff says, when are you going to retire? And I go, one of these days, you're going to come in and find me dead at my desk. And I retired. The business is going to the staff. My kids aren't interested in it. So the business is going to my employees and some of them own a piece of the company already. I think that's only proper. They helped me create it. They should inherit it. So that's where we're going with that. And so they're interested in growing it. <laughs> right. They because work harder. It's their future. They work harder, right? Absolutely. It's their future too. So, you know, that's where we're going with that. And we're having a good time. We enjoy what we do. We enjoy our clients. I enjoy my staff. We have fun times. If you look at us on our YouTube channel, we got some fun videos out there. I've been doing a series of Charlie the Bartender. We use one of our clients' bars as a site, and we have fun with that. It's kind of humorous. And we've done other things. Michael, my videographer, is currently working on the Halloween and the Christmas videos for this year. So, you know, we have a lot of serious ones out there that are educational, but we have some fun ones. That's what it's all about. It sounds like you're, you know, after really putting in a lot of work for, you know, you mentioned the first 10 years, there were no vacations. You're really enjoying it. You're really enjoying it now. Yeah. I wish Ruth was still with me so we could enjoy it together. But that being said, I'm living the good life. I don't want, maybe regret's not the best word to use, but anything that you might've done differently on this journey that you've had with your business. And then to back that up, any advice for the listeners out there that want to start a business and just really don't know what the next move is? Well, obviously there's things I wish I'd done differently that would have worked. I wish I'd gotten Gerber's book a lot earlier. I wish that I had realized that I couldn't market my way out of a paper bag. And I realized that when I finally got so busy, I hired a marketing manager. Mm. And within two weeks, I realized, Charles, you're an idiot. If you'd done this years earlier, you'd be a hell of a lot richer. So Understand your own weaknesses and your own strengths. That's very important. One of the things I like to use in these interviews is a saying that I've stolen from Bill Gates. People will overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and underestimate what they can accomplish in a decade. It's a marathon, guys. It's not a sprint. You may not achieve your goals this year. Maybe not next year or the year after, but if you keep after it, you'll be amazed at what you can achieve. Yeah, that's great. That's so true. Hockey stick, right? Yep. Eventually it's going to come. Yep. Are there any habits or anything that you think you do on a daily basis or maybe some, you mentioned mindset, but anything in addition to that, that you feel makes you a successful business owner? Very careful of the people we hire. You hire good people. We don't hire jerks. And I try to keep a sense of humor about things. I think that's extremely important because things aren't always going to run right. I promise you. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. And if you, if you can't laugh at it, you just have to cry. So it's much better to laugh. Your employees get real upset when you start crying. (laughs) (laughs) Don't cry in front of your employees. That's great advice. That's great advice. Okay, let's give, before we wrap up here, I just want to give the website one more time for the listeners. It's getpayroll.com. And then the book, go ahead and give that again, Charles, if you could. We just want to make sure. If you're interested in just the book, thepayrollbook.com. 
com discount right. code podcast. Super. This has been tremendous. I love hearing a great W2 prison break story. We all love hearing that. Any final thoughts you might have or anything that you wanted to share with the listeners, something I didn't get to ask you? If you have that entrepreneurial bent, go for it. It is so rewarding and satisfying over the long term. It's not an easy road. If you don't, don't. But if you want to do it, try it. Try it as the side gig to start with if you want. It's so easier, much easier to do it now than it was, you know, 30 years ago. So it's a lot of fun, guys. Being an entrepreneur is so rewarding. In the end, it's worth everything. As I was saying to you, Brian, earlier before we started, I would not go back to work for a company. I would not do it. I don't have to. I wouldn't do it. If that was the only alternative, I'd retire. Yeah. And I imagine you've been able to say that for quite some time now that you wouldn't have gone back. Yeah, that's great. Charles, super grateful that you spent the time with us today, dropping a ton of value here. And, you know, just look forward to having you on again as well. This is just great stuff. Everyone have an excellent, excellent day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the W2 Prison Break Show. Don't forget, you can watch all full video episodes on our YouTube channel. Definitely check that out and please subscribe. Go to w2prisonbreak.com to learn more. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review so we can continue to support you and the thousands of others planning their W2 Prison Break. Here's to you busting out.